lot of faces today. I'm going to be reading Matthew 8, 5 through 10 for you guys. Now, when Jesus had entered Canprium and Centrium, came, came to him, plead with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a, a word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another come, and he comes, and to my servant. Do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Tell them who you were, sir. Who you are. My name is McCall. McCall what? Rubal. This is McCall Rubal. Thank you, buddy. We got it right here. Good morning, church. Guys, if you're looking for a few more seats, there are some sprinkled around, and the usual front row spray section is open. It's moist, but it's comfortable. You you pick your choices. Um, did you take a look as you walked in at the new building and how it's going? I'm more excited with more stucco. As you look at it, it's kind of wrapping around, which is a really big deal because, you know, the weather is a big factor this time of year. And so as they're getting things wrapped around the building, that's, that's a significant achievement. Um, we had, uh, I know I saw you come, there you are, Fabiola. Would you, would you stand up? Uh, Fabiola and her husband came this week and uh, blessed the guys by, I think you guys brought, brought burritos for them. How did I miss such a day? And um, I saw the pictures. They looked really excited about that. So thank you very much. Thank you for what you're doing. I know that uh, some folks brought a, uh, uh, a couple of cases of soda, which we're getting out there, some mandarins, some cookies, things like that. We just want to say thank you. The building that you're doing, building is important to us, and what you're doing is a blessing to us. So thank you for being a blessing uh, for, to them. I understand that um, Lou and Albernice are going to be involving this, this Wednesday. I think you're going to be bringing some stuff to them. I think I misspoke last week and said the time to come was 1130. It's actually 11. Uh, 11 o'clock they're going to break. So normally that's going to be the best time for them. And uh, if you if you get a hold of the office before you come, we'll try to get a hold of the leadership and find out how many people you'll be dealing with. Um, I know that, uh, that that Tim Tim, you made the announcement. Did you make Maxine stand up when you made the announcement? Okay, good. Okay. If you don't know who Maxine Bloom is, find her the, find her and ask her what happened to her this week. If you do know who Maxine Bloom is and you don't know, find her and ask her what happened to her this week. Uh, we are happy to have you as part of our church family. Maxine was one of the people who welcomed me when I came 
back when I had hair. Um, and uh, she was actually, I, I think, the first uh, lead elder here, head elder here when I, uh, when I came. And uh, she has taught me more than I can imagine. As we start uh, this to this morning, we're starting on a, on a, on a new, small, that may be growing uh, idea and sermon series. What I want to share with you today is about the authority of God. And so the, the sermon title is a little bit of a question. The edge of God's authority. Where's the edge of God's authority? If you thought about it right now, if you had to ask the question, in my life, where is the edge of God's authority? Not, not your neighbor, not your wife, not your kids, you. Where's the edge of your authority? Not the edge your mom defined for you, not the edge your dad defined for you, but where's the edge of God's authority in your life? That is the growing edge of your spiritual life. That is the growing edge of your spiritual walk. Where's the edge of God's authority in your life? So first of all, confession. Great big God, little bitty brain. Your brain is approximately the size of your two fists like this. So hold them up. Put your fists like this. Take a good look at that. If you have big hands, good for you. If you have little hands, sorry. That's the approximate size of your brain. That's all you have to work with. That's all you've ever had to work with. That's all you're getting to work with. Okay? No more additions, and I don't know how you could expand your head to make it fit. You know, as we get older, this this skull becomes thicker. That's what you have to work with. And you have an eternal being to try to understand. Great big God, this much brain. We, as we develop better and better telescopes, look out across the universe, and they're, they're starting to talk in the billions of light years now. Just immense space. Things that are so unimaginable, so beyond our comprehension. The reason I want to lead with this is because we always talk when we talk about God, about something we just barely are scraping the surface of. The biblical revelation of God, I think, is tempered for our little bitty brains. I think God has to kind of write to us like like people talk to toddlers. You limit the words you use with toddlers, right? You you kind of you kind of keep it to simple things when you're talking to toddlers. They're just learning to read, they're just learning to understand, they're just learning to speak. So you keep your words kind of small. I think I think when God decided to reveal himself to us, he used pictures. You know that's true, right? The lives of the people in the Old Testament, pictures. Here's a picture. Get this. Look at this. Maybe you can figure it out from the picture because the words will be too big for you to understand. And then when Jesus came, what did Jesus do? He used a lot of pictures. He said, let me show you this picture. Maybe that will help you understand. Because it's a little bitty brain and a great big God. So when we start talking about God's authority, I just want to confess, I too have this much brain to work with. And so... We're scratching at what we can find. We're peeling back the pieces, the, the little bits that we can understand. But we're, we're in deep water when we start talking about the character and the authority of God. 
So I want to just cover a few passages that talk about the kind of the scope of things where God is concerned. Our God is in the heavens and he does what he wishes. Is that a good thing or a bad thing for you today? Does it worry you or does it seem like it might be a blessing? Our God is in the heavens and he does what he wants. He does what he wishes. No one stops him. There's no prevention. There's nobody standing in God's way. Kind of. In Job, again, have you, those of you who are doing the chronological read through, how are you doing with Job? You're in the deep kind of struggles of Job right now. You're in the, you should be like in the twenties and you're, you're kind of getting, oh man, Job is just struggling because he's been abused physically. He's lost everything and he's, he's in that moment of suffering when people start questioning the authority of God, when they start questioning the abilities of God and Job's in the midst of that and he has those wonderful friends. You know, his buddies are something to behold. I'm not sure that they're helping much. But if you're doing that chronological read, that's where you are. You're kind of right in those 20s with Job and kind of riding through that story. Keep watching for those glimmers because you see Job's faith pop up in all of it. He keep, it keeps popping to the surface. It, you know, it's, it's, it's like that, that, that thing that just won't stay down. You know, it just keeps coming up, keeps coming up. It just keeps coming out of it. Job, sorry, I didn't read what he had to say. I got so carried away thinking about him. Job answered the, and the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. I know that you can do everything and no purpose. There's nothing that you want to do that can, get, can be stopped. Do these sound like broad reaches of his authority? Not if you can hear me. Okay. The last three rows. Can you hear back there? Okay, okay. Just checking because nobody was nodding except that one guy. (laughs) Just kidding. It's too early for that. Psalm 135. For I know that the Lord is great. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and in earth. And we're not going to talk about it this week. Next week, we'll talk about God's authority and suffering. If, the, if God has this kind of authority, explain suffering to me, please. We'll take a shot at that. Remember, great big God, great big issues, this much brain. In Isaiah 43, verse 13, for eternity, from eternity to eternity, I am God. Now, look who's speaking. No one can snatch anyone out of my hand. Now, stop, that, stop there with that one for just a minute. Do you remember that in the New Testament? No one can snatch you out of the hand of God. No one can snatch you out of my hand. That's pretty good news. From eternity to eternity, I am God and no one can take you out of my hand. No one can do that. It's impossible once there for you to be removed if I don't want you to. Hmm, and I don't want you to. No one can undo what I have done. What I have done. So as you start just, there are lots more texts. There are a bunch of texts. You Google God's authority and you'll just, you'll, you'll find there are, I don't know, dozens and dozens of them. But I just wanted to start with the kind of the scope of what we're talking about. And I want to keep reminding us, and you'll, you'll see that little image pop up. 
great big God, little bitty brain. There are things that are going to bring up more questions. We'll take a stab at those questions, but I think some of you will still leave at the end of those those days saying, I wish there were more answers than that. But we will try. I want to start with a picture. Why are we starting with a picture? Great big God, little tiny brain. So we're going to start with a picture. You remember the story of the, of the centurion? When we were going through Matthew, and we'll come back to Matthew here this year again. When we were going through Matthew, we spent some time in Matthew chapter 8 looking at this story of this guy, this, this Roman centurion who walks up to Jesus one day. Uh, this sounds like the opening to a joke. A centurion walked up to God. He walks up to Jesus. It's in Matthew chapter 8. If you're looking for it in your Bible, you'll find it around verses 5 to 10. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him. Now, isn't it nice to have the kids read these to us? Thank you, Mr. Rubel, today. Wherever you disappeared to. Hiding behind the, behind the, the camera from me. I don't look at those things. <laughs> I look at these things. Now, when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. So this is a pretty standard opening, right? Jesus gets these kinds of approaches all the time. People come up to him and say, I have a problem. I need you to fix it. It's not really ever changed, has it? Isn't it still what most prayers are about? Most of us don't go on our, get on our knees and say, God, you are awesome. You are amazing. I don't need anything today. I just wanted to say so. Most of us has a, have a list. Some we repeat, right? We, we, like he forgot from yesterday. Lord, I want to talk to you again about what you didn't do yesterday that I was hoping you would do. Now can you do it today? We've been talking about this for a couple of weeks now, and can you just get on the job? Right? We, we have our regular prayer requests, and that's how most things went for Jesus. You read the New Testament over and over and over again. Somebody walks up with a suggestion for something for him to do. This is the situation with the centurion. He's, he's apparently quite a different guy because this servant is probably a slave. But he really is compassionate toward him. And he feels for the suffering that he's, ha- that he's experiencing. And so he wants Jesus to do something about it. That he approaches Jesus, that he does it in Capernaum, which is one of those conservative communities in Jerusalem, in, uh, uh, I'm sorry, in Galilee. That he had known quantity, he's at least exposing himself as a believer at some level. Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. Would this be a good answer for you? If you said, Lord, I need X to happen. And Jesus said, okay, I'll come and do that. Would you be satisfied? I would. I think most of us would. Most of us say, yeah, of course, yeah, come, yeah, we'll clean the house. Stay for dinner, stay overnight, have a week or two with us. We've got lots of friends that need stuff. I will come and help you. The officer said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come to my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. Just say the word. Just speak and it will happen. I think he had read Genesis 1. 
You want to talk about the authority of God? Read Genesis 1. God spoke everything into existence. God spoke and it happened. Boom. I know this. This is the part where I I really want to kind of take you today. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers. And I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go, and they go, come, and they come. And if I say to my slave, do this to slaves, they do it. So he understands rank and authority. Do you get that understanding? Do you get the picture? He's looking at this and he's saying, I know you can do this because I understand how authority works. I understand that I, when I speak, cause people to do things. I know that I do things when my superiors speak to me. I recognize that you have superior authority over what's bothering my servant. I recognize your authority in this place. He'd apparently either heard of Jesus, he recognized this authority by reputation, or he had actually seen a miracle of Jesus. Whatever it is, whatever's going on, he recognizes Jesus' power and authority. So the question comes back to, do you? Where's the edge of that authority in your experience? Where's the edge of that authority in your life? Do you give him full authority? Have you relinquished your desires and your, have you surrendered to the authority of the maker? Or are you holding something? Are you holding some control in? Does God have authority over your work? So when you go to work on Monday, does God have authority in that space? Are you sure that God has authority? Or do you take over when you get there? Do you walk in, sit down at your desk and say, I got this now, God. Thanks a lot. See you later. See you Sabbath. I'll be back. Promise. See you in the morning. See you this evening. But right here, this space, this is my work, my job. I got this. Most of us, preachers included, go into those workspaces like we know what we're doing. Do you? I would assume most of you are somewhat expert at your job. Most of you are, are, are pretty good at what you do. You, you know what to do. You go in, you, you kind of have some, some understanding of the process. Most of us don't sit down at that desk, sit down at that job, grab our tools. Most of us don't start our day saying, here I am, these are my tools. Do with them what you want today. Most of us assume we have the authority over those things when we get our day started. You tracking with me? Just trying to establish some understanding of what we're working with here, where we are in this discussion. I think in our lives, when we practically apply this, we get to our jobs, we get to the spaces where we we think we're in charge, and we just take charge. Seldom do we pray our way into it or through it, unless it gets so difficult we come to the end of what we know to be our abilities. Right? When that piece that you, you thought you knew how to do does, isn't working, sometimes if we get to the point where we've done it for a day or two or hours and we start, to frustra- we start to get frustrated, we start to struggle, sometimes in that moment we'll finally go, oh, there's a God in heaven and maybe I should ask him. Could you help me with this problem? I can't figure it out. And God says, all right. Glad you finally came to me about this. Pat, pat, pat on the head. I do actually know. 
It's a funny thing about God's authority. It's something we only seem to come to most of the time when we're at the end of our rope. I'm not, I'm not saying you should just, you know, give up on, on doing anything. I'm, no, I'm laying in bed until God gives me the authority to get up. He gives you the authority to get up. Promise. He did. That's why your eyes opened up. But I am saying there are many, many more times when I think we could ask God to be of assistance in a situation when we don't, because that's the edge of his authority in our lives. So you get in the picture we're trying to paint. This guy says, I am under authority. I am authority over others. I understand how authority works, and you have authority. The reason I wanted to set this up is because when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. There are not very many places in the scripture where you find this stated. Jesus was amazed. Jesus was blown away by what he just heard. Whoa, that's amazing. That's cool. This is, this is fantastic. Jesus is amazed at this guy's response. Were you? Or were you like me? You look at this and you go, Okay, what's the big deal? Yeah, okay, he's the boss of some people. Some people are the boss of him. What's the big deal? Why is this such a big deal? It's easy to pass over some of these. That woman with her with her three little mites, two mites. You're like, oh, what's the big deal? It's like less than a penny. You have to have it explained to you. That's the point. Picture. Picture. Little brain. Big God. You follow? Okay. So he's painting a picture. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed, turning to those who were following him. He said, I tell you the truth. I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. I've traveled up and down, back and forth, all over Israel. This is the highest level of faith I've ever encountered anywhere. I've hung out with the guys in the temple. I roam with rabbis. I have scribes hanging around all the time. I have these 12 guys that follow me around. Nobody I've encountered has faith like this guy. What does the guy say? I have a boss. I am a boss. I know you can do this. Because the edge of God's authority in his life was down the road from most people. The edge of God's authority as he understood it was much further out. It was spread. It was bigger. It was beyond the boundaries of most people. It was out beyond the reach of most people's understanding. This guy believed that God could do stuff that he wasn't even present for. Think about the other stories. How many of those stories include, can you come to my house? Hey, I need you to come and do X, Y, or Z. Or something I have to do. I have to, I have to do some kind of outreach to you in order to be blessed by you. This guy says, look, I'm, I'm informing you of a problem, and I would like you to fix it. You can do it from here. I am not even worthy to have you in my house. I'm a centurion. I'm a Roman. I'm the enemy. And if you came to my house, it would be such a scandal. Don't even come. Just... Just from here, say the word and it'll be done. Like creation, you know? The story that Moses wrote down, like that story. I, you know, I know the story. He said, you spoke and the heavens appeared. I'm just asking for a little healing. I'm not asking for a new star. So I understand authority. You could do this. And Jesus says, whoa. Jesus' mind is blown because of this guy's understanding of the authority given to him 
by God. Jesus will say in the end of his ministry, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. If he has all authority in heaven and earth, does he really have all authority in yours and your life and mine? Because that's where the edge is. And that's what's so amazing about this centurion. That the edge is way out there. Faith like somebody who understands who he's dealing with. You see, Israel had had a long history of bringing rocks and sticks into their house and bowing down to them. In fact, all of their neighbors have the same problem. They bring in rocks and sticks and they bow down to them and they worship them. And the prophets come in and they say, look, a rock is a rock, a stick is a stick. Don't pray to that thing. We were talking about this this last week when we were talking about the commandments. God is saying, oh, come on, that's a stick. It, it can't move, it can't do anything, it can't hear you, it can't see you. The, the, the prophets go so far as to describe them. They have eyes that were cut out, they have hands that are stiff, they have feet that can't move, they can't walk, they can't talk, they can't see you, they can't do anything, they can't touch you. Why are you praying to them? You know what our big idol is in the, in, in the, the, the 21st century? Science. Science is our ultimate authority. We will ask that question. Does the science prove this out? Has there been a study? <laughs> do you, you do realize that that's a fairly new piece of conversation? A hundred years ago, no one asked, has there been a study on why men go bald? I bet you I could Google it right now and read a hundred of them. Some of them, by the way, will be completely bogus. They need to rub onions on their head. And some people will be going around rubbing onions on their head. And they will just be stinky and bald. We have science on such a high pillar that we've put science above God. Be careful with this, you guys. I am not saying ignore science. I'm saying science is great, but it's not God. Science is amazing. Math is amazing. Physics is amazing. Biology is amazing, but it's not God. God is outside the realm of all of that stuff. Beyond all of that stuff. Beyond the reach of that stuff. We cannot expect science to find God. Different methodology. Different process. Well, I don't know if there's a God. Has there been a study? Oh, well, yeah. However, it had to be written for us in like kindergarten language. Look at the Bible. Lots of pictures. It'll, you'll, you'll get it. One of my best buddies is a physicist. He looks at the world through engineering, physicist, mathematical lenses. He has come to the conclusion mathematically that there must be a God. So a study has been done and there is a God, if you need one. It's actually very interesting how many physicists are starting to comment about a first cause. 
And from first cause to Genesis is a, is, a, is a little walk. But a first cause is an interesting statement for science. A biologist at UCLA actually wrote a, a paper, a, a long letter to his fellow staff members saying, look, we've been touting this theory of evolution as if it is fact. We need to tell people that it's a theory. We need to be more honest about what we're doing here. I thought that was a great letter. I don't mind a varying theory. I mind somebody saying that it's the fact. In the 21st century, in the 20th century, we have slowly rebuilt the goddess of reason that the French Revolution was worshiping. We have slowly made our own minds the master of God. We have slowly said, I get it, I understand, I, I get, I understand there isn't a God, or I understand there is a God. We have all started to ask the simple question, can you prove it? And the biblical answer is, no. But I can show it to you. Here's a picture. Rape it, God. A little bitty brain. Here's a picture. So faith in Jesus' authority is going to describe how you relate to the events of the moment. Did you catch that? Probably the most profound thing I will say this week. Faith in Jesus' authority will have an effect, can't help but have an effect on the way you face whatever's coming at you at the moment. If your faith in his authority is microscopic, your response is likely to be fearful. If your faith in his authority is pretty immense, you can have that sort of confidence that doesn't belong in the situation where you can kind of shrug off the, the thing that's right in front of you and say, God is still God. God has not left his throne. I'm good. I can, I'll be okay. If the bus actually hits me, and flattens me out like a pancake, the next thing I see is Jesus, so I'm cool. Faith in God's authority will have a high impact on the moment you're living in. So let's see if we can paint another picture. If this faith is the the place where the anchor is hooked, if this is the place where the anchor is hooked, let's paint another picture. Same Same chapter, same book. A few, cha- a few verses later, then Jesus got into a boat and started across the lake with his disciples. Opening for a lot of stories again, right? A lot of times, Jesus is going back and forth across the lake. Jesus got into a boat, started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly, what does the word suddenly mean? Came right away. Kind of came out of the blue, it just was there. Suddenly, a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. Now, have you ever been in a boat? Have you ever been in a boat where the waves are breaking into the boat? Is that a good thing? Not typically. Typically, that's a bad omen. That's a bad experience. They, they start getting nervous when that's going on. People in the boat, when the water is inside instead of outside the boat, trouble is brewing in the boat. 
So the waves are breaking, breaking over the boat. There's no, there's no hull, hull cover or there's no cover over the hull. It's coming right into the boat. Now the boat has stopped being a boat and it's become a bucket. This is not a good thing for a guy. These well-seasoned fishermen are a little freaked out by this, as well they should be. Jesus is asleep, and the disciples run back, and they wake him up. I'd love to come down and wake somebody up, but nobody seems to be sleeping. Praise the Lord. The disciples went and woke him up, shouting. Now get the picture. They're terrified. They're shouting. Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Okay? We're looking at the situation we're in. Waves are breaking over the side. You're napping. And we're going to die. We figured it all out. We put it in an algebraic formula. And the answer is death. Boat in the lake. Water coming over, plus water coming over the side, plus Messiah asleep equals death. Okay, can you see the formula? Okay? See, I told you there were formulas. So the disciples go and wake him up, and Jesus responds, Why are you afraid? We just did the math. Boat, water inside, you're napping. We die. That's why we're having problems. We're afraid because we're about to die. Jesus says, Where's your faith? Did you see nothing with the centurion? The centurion wouldn't be freaking out right now. Well, the centurion's not here. We don't know if he'd be freaking out. I was nine years old. They told my mom that I needed to have my tonsils out. I was glad to have it happen because for about a year I'd been coughing and choking and my heart, my throat had hurt. And every time we went somewhere, I'd like, no, I can't eat because I, and it took a long time for folks to kind of realize I wasn't just messing around. I was, it was serious. So they took me to the doctor. Doctor says, yep, gotta come out. They took me into the doctor and went to the hospital. They put the mask. Yeah, man. They used to stick a mask on your face. When you're nine and someone's putting a mask on your face, I gave them a run for their money. They had nurses and doctors and people coming in trying to hold me down while they finally got me knocked out. They did something while I was asleep that all I know about it was left my throat feeling worse than it did when I got there. And they told me, oh, as soon as you start eating, we'll give you ice cream. And they kept bringing ice cream by. And I wouldn't eat it. I wouldn't even swallow. I was spitting my, my spittle out. This was long enough that I was not in a room by myself. I was in a children's ward. It meant that we were all together sharing germs, about nine of us. Maybe it was ten, five and five. So they tried to shame me into swallowing. I wasn't buying it. My mom came in, my dad, my nurse, somebody came in and said, see that little boy over there? He's two. He had the same surgery you had, and he's eating. I said, he's two. He doesn't know any better. I'm pretty sure that's a real close quote. You can ask my mom. She might have been there. Eventually, they let me out. Here I am. Eventually, I got to eating the ice cream. It was still, it still hurt. The disciples are saying, look, the centurion's not here. The woman who touched your hem of your garden isn't here. Jairus isn't here. We've done the math. We're here and we're going to die. Jesus says, what's wrong with your faith? Don't you guys trust me? Don't you guys understand what's going on here? See, what's going on is there's a picture being painted. 
for them and for us. There's a big storm outside. Water's getting in the boat. The disciples are panicking. Jesus is asleep. This is a question about the authority of Jesus. You understand? This is a moment to understand the authority of the guy who's napping in the boat. The real question here is why isn't Jesus scared? How can he sleep through this thing? Who in the world? He is trying to defy the laws of physics. If this boat fills up, we're sinking. We've been in this situation. We understand what happens when a boat gets full. And Jesus is in the back, enjoying the rocking as he sleeps. The Bible says that he got up, rebuked the wind and the waves. Peace, be still. And the disciples are standing there. And they're looking at him. And they can't believe what they're seeing. The Bible says that the disciples were amazed. A few minutes ago I said Jesus was looking at the the statement made by the centurion and Jesus was amazed. Now we've gone through the chapter a little way and we now see Jesus getting up and calming the storm and the Bible says the disciples were amazed. Even the wind and the waves obey this guy. They just got a little glimpse of the authority of Jesus. Here's where your faith and the process come together. If you understood, if they understood the authority of the guy sleeping in the back, they could have relaxed. They could have said, hey, we're good till he wakes up. Because if he gets scared, I'll be scared. As long as he's not scared, I'm good. Do you realize all of the disciples could have taken a nap? Does that sound like neglect to you? If it's not true, then why would Jesus question their faith? They're not even using their faith. They don't recognize the authority of the guy in the back of the boat. So the question comes back. Do we? No matter what we find ourselves caught up in, Jesus is in the boat. And he's not worried. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And when we face our last breath, he still has all the authority of heaven and earth. And when we face our last paycheck, he still has all the authority of heaven and earth. And I know for some of you folks, when you face the destruction of your home, when you just face the fire that blew through your town, all the authority in heaven and earth has still been given to him. We've never faced a situation where God said, oh no, I don't know what to do. You've never faced a day he didn't see coming before it happened to you. 
all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. If the disciples had recognized the authority of the guy in the back of the boat, they could have gone back, sat down, and said, let's see what he does. This could be fun. Could you imagine? If this, if this story said, hey, the disciples got in a boat with Jesus, Jesus took a nap, a big storm came up, wind started blowing, waves started blowing, pulling in the boat, and all the disciples went back, sat down next to Jesus to see what would happen. Wouldn't that have been a fun story? And the disciples, instead of being freaked out by the storm, realized, hey, this is a wild ride. Let's enjoy this thing while we can, because he's going to stop something. Something's going to happen in a minute. So hang on. Don't fall overboard. Let's go. Best ride at Disneyland. Better. If they'd understood the authority of the man in the boat. Sometimes, sometimes, when we're facing a difficult situation, we get all panicked and try to figure it out, and we never stop to think, hey, hey, wait, I'm in the boat with Jesus. As long as Jesus is in this boat, let's see what he does. And I'm not saying don't go to your doctor. I think that's crazy talk. But I'm saying don't make your doctor the final authority. Recently, I happened to be in a, in a hospital with a, a family. They had been told by their doctor, there's not much time left for this family member of yours. And they turned to the doctor and they said, what should we do? And their doctor did this. I don't know if they couldn't say it out loud or not, but the doctor said this. Pray. The crazy thing, and it doesn't always happen. Next week, discussion. The crazy thing, So two weeks later, after a horrendous period of time in that hospital, her body started functioning. She started to recover. And they sent her home for Christmas. They had told her when she came in, she's not going to make it. She may not make a few days. A couple weeks later, she was home for Christmas. We don't know what the end of the story is. Actually, I do. I know what the end of the story is for all of us. Barring an Enoch walk straight into heaven or an Elijah fiery chariot or the arrival of Jesus ahead of time, we're all going to become fertilizer. That's the way this thing works. But if you're in the boat with Jesus, after fertilization, it's the most amazing wake-up in the history of mankind, the next thing you see is Jesus. I'm kind of cool with that. So the question is, do you believe that God has authority over what's going on with you? Today. Now I'm not saying that God can make other people do things for you again next week. I am saying, do you believe that God has authority in your life? And does that authority include everything? 
Can you imagine? Can you imagine this story? Jesus and his disciples. I just love the picture. Got into a boat. And a storm came up on the sea all of a sudden, but Jesus had already fallen asleep. He was exhausted. He had a hard day. He healed the leper. He healed the centurion's service. He healed most of the people in Capernaum. He had had a long, busy, hard day, and he needed a break. And so he crashed in the back of the boat. And, and he was having such a good nap that when the storm came up, the disciples said, let's not wake him. Let's just sit down next to him and ride this baby out because we're here with Jesus. That's the life we walk. And that's the authority of Jesus. You can face whatever it is you're facing if you believe he has authority over it with rest and faith. Let's pray. Father in heaven, there's a bunch of questions running through our heads right now. Does he really have authority over this? Does he really have authority over what's happening in my life? Does he really have authority in this moment? Help us to trust you for a yes. Thank you for all the wonderful things that we've been presented with in the 21st century. We can get parts of our bodies replaced. It's like a mechanic almost. Thank you. Thank you for the inspiration of the scientists. Some who didn't even know they were being inspired by you. Thank you for the blessings that you're offering through all of that. Thank you that when it fails us, and we all know it will, we still have you. And that the storm doesn't actually control what happens to us. That no storm can arise in our life that changes the outcome in the end. It's just something we're passing through. And that you never get out of the boat. Thank you for being in our boat.